0: This is Cinema
1: Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured?
2: You just can't let them go? Go. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? (laughs) Please, God. (laughs) This. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary,
1: even in hell.
0: Me back. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive.
1: They all not down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Why? You're doomed. You're
0: doomed. show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid, and join us in the fun.
2: To the most brilliant minds, Miskatonix ever known. Cheers! Robert. Hey. What is wrong with you? Mr. Tillinghast.
0: Professor Gordon said there's some components missing from his lab. we not know anything about that, would you? What is this thing? The resonator. We did it.
1: Alrighty, folks, welcome back to Cinema Degenerations Howling at the Full Moon. It's been a, a hot minute since we've recorded one of these, but we are back at it. And this week we got probably one of the newest uh, additions to the Full Moon features lineup the Resonator, Miskatonic University, uh, made in this year, the foul year of our Lord 2021. And uh, joining me this evening, as always, is my faithful co host and cohort in crime, Dustin Hubbard. How are we doing? Hey, I am good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it has been a hot minute since we've done one of these, hasn't it?
2: It it has been a, a bit, but at least we're we're coming back strong,
1: uh,
2: with a with a good title. So
1: yeah, this is uh, this is probably one of the best things that's come down the pipe at uh, full moon in in recent years. It's it's uh, I consider this top tier full moon, and it goes back to you know the the miskatonic and arkham and it's love full of lovecraft lore which is you know the kind of the root and the genesis of a lot of the you know charlie's uh, earlier stuff with the reanimator and from beyond and things like that but uh, this originally released as a two episode it, it, it's a feature it's a feature length but Barely. Barely feature-length. <laughs> it's like, what, about maybe 70 minutes with you cut out the credits, you know? But, yeah, uh, the DVD Blu-ray version is about 64 minutes, so... Yeah, it, it's barely a feature. It, it's a feature. But the way I watched it, because I do not own the DVD, I watched it streaming off the full moon, streaming, uh, and it was... The first episode is 39 minutes full of credits, and the second episode... Uh, much shorter is 29 minutes but we'll review these as a whole and uh the 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 imdb synopsis which is basically a short storyline of it is as follows it's a little bit long from what we're used to but i'll go ahead and give you the, the the full spiel here guys and this is at Miskatonic university the resonator is as follows Set in the fictional college campus, Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts, where all sorts of fantastic and otherworldly events have been known to unfold in Lovecraft lore. The Resonator Miskatonic U follows six gifted students as they navigate life after one of them, Crawford Tillingus, builds a machine known as the Resonator. The machine allows one to experience multiple dimensions while navigating the unsavory beasts that dwell within them. But things get complicated when Tillingus Realizes that the prototype of his creation has not only released murderous and deadly creatures into his world, but also has affected his own reality. And yeah, that pretty much gives you everything you need to know. It's it's basically a spiritual sequel to From Beyond, and also a little bit a little bit of you know Reanimator and things like that because it follows the Lovecraft lore. And I love how it begins. Uh, i'm not sure if you if, if it's if it's on the dvd but you you i know if i know you like i know you Dustin. and you watched the watched it streaming and you watched it on the dvd but i love the little intro where it says uh you know for stewart gordon because legends never die that was a nice little little intro for him
2: yes i love any uh i love any memoria or tip to the hat to you know the masters because yeah this movie wouldn't exist if it if it wasn't for the you know cinematic mastery of Stuart Gordon and why he was able to accomplish with movies like Reanimator and From Beyond, I don't think if it wasn't for those two movies, people would really uh, care about you know uh, Lovecraft film. You know, those are the two movies that set the stage and they came out of the gate and set the bar
1: really high. So Right. Oh, God. Yeah, they did. And really, I mean, we've had nothing but a bunch of, you know, those movies were made by a professor. And everybody else that has followed it with their own, uh, you know, Lovecraft movies and whatnot have been just a bunch of substitute teachers since, you know. Uh, and I mean that with the utmost respect, because some of them are still good movies. I like The Resurrected. Uh, I even like Cthulhu Mansion. But let's just face it, uh, you know, Stuart Gordon was the man. And it was nice to see that little bit of a, a tribute to him at the beginning.
2: I'm glad that somebody likes Cthulhu, mansion. You know, <laughs> It's cheesy it, fun.
1: It, it's know, not it, a great movie. I mean, I don't love it, mind you.
2: <laughs> you know, it does. It does feature Melanie Shatner, who has you know, been featured in the Full Moon canon uh, in the past and you know full moon charles band has kept the lovecraft alive over the years because you know him and gordon would still do castle freak during the full moon years which was yep. based on the lovecraft story the outsider and uh courtney joiner's lurking fear is also a lovecraft
1: Product. Yeah, that's right lurking yeah he did do lurking fear i gotta i gotta amend uh my comment then because i do love me some lurking fear i kind of kind of forgot about that one so i must apologize one of full moon's long mooted never
2: produced films um uh, from the 90s was shadow over endsmith as well which had the classic artwork of the uh, fish woman, topless kind of fish woman with gills on her neck, rising up
1: out of the water, kind of covering her
2: breasts. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I remember that artwork. I was uh, waited in, in t- anticipation for that movie for years, where I kind of realized it was never going to happen. Never happened, yeah. I think uh, uh, many people have tried, you know, making Shadow over Insmith into a movie, and just given the subject matters is never been able to happen realistically i think you know even uh carpenter kind of touched upon that in the mouth of madness a little bit you know but
2: and gordon wanted to uh dagon instead
1: dagon (laughs) was okay dagon was again you know was kind of a bit of a misfire but not a bad film you know what i always say is uh you know it's a good film just not a great film but this, this one is actually, you know, it, considering, you know, and I, uh, I'm i trying to think of the nicest way of putting this, but being directed by William Butler, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of wondering, you know, considering he did Demonic Toys 2, Ginger Dead Man 3, again, some decent full moon fare, but not overly great full moon fare. But this is a slick, slick film. It's shot really well. It has some great visuals. The the CGI is even pretty good. The The cinematography is really good. It, it, it's a, got a very, very slick look. Like I said, this is top-tier Full Moon. Yes, and it's a, a
2: very gorgeous film.
1: Yeah, gorgeous. Good word I would use for it. But. I, I love the way that it starts. The first note I have here is, we've seen this before. The Resonator is going to cause nothing but trouble and we get uh what's his name Dane Olivers Crawford Tillingus you know who we're supposed to believe is Jeffrey Combs son the 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 OG Crawford Tillingus from from beyond and he does have a kind of a little bit of a Jeffrey Combs look i think they did a good job in finding an, an actor that not, not only kind of emotes a little bit like Jeffrey Combs but you know it's not a big stretch of the imagination that this could be, you know, a descendant of him. Now they would have. I think it's. Uh, oh gosh, who is it? Jeffrey Byron plays the the the, the flashbacky kind of version of Professor Tillingus. But that that's the only thing I could say about this movie. That's kind of uh, a detractor from it. I wish they could have got Jeffrey Combs. You know, with the people they got with Amanda Weiss, Michael Prayer, uh, you would have think they could have afforded to get Jeffrey Combs like for at least a day. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You would think yeah,
2: you never know. There, there will hopefully be uh, a few more of these coming, so who knows what could happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not over yet. Now, but again, can, we said, like Combs, he's so
2: ingrained in Lovecraft, uh, cinema, you know, be even beyond
1: just from beyond. So, well, I mean, old- you know, between the reanimator films playing Herbert West, he actually played, um. A version of H.P. Lovecraft in uh, the movie *Necronomicon* from the early '90s—a great anthology film. So he's kind of become synonymous with Lovecraft lore, and Not rightly that. so. But I love how this begins. Uh, we get the failed experiment, you know, with uh, Crawford experimenting with the resonator, and his poor sidekick Brian uh, Brian Hemingway gets his head popped off, which is mm-hmm. his- <laughs> You know, most of the time, I will have to say, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on CGI blood and gore. Most of the time, I don't like them because they're not done very well. But the head popping off the effect when the tentacled monster comes up and pops off Brian's head, it it made me laugh. Not like, like, oh, man, that was so bad kind of laugh. But it was so over the top. It was very comic bookish.
2: It's very sudden. (laughs) I I would say... I don't, I myself am never a fan of CGI when it is used for uh, any type of liquid. So, if it's for something like rain or, you know, water in general or blood or, you know, that or fire, those are like anything elemental, really, it, because you can't make it look real yeah (laughs) it always
1: looks exaggerated doesn't it
2: it always looks very cartoonish um but you know and not to say that i think it looks super cartoonish in this movie like when when the tentacle monster kind of like pops brian's head off but it's sort of sudden and it is a little over the top feeling but i mean the the themes and some of the what's going on in this movie feels sort of this will sound redundant, but sort of low key over the top, so it fits. I think. Oh so. yeah, it, d-
1: it definitely fits. This is one of the few times I was just like, oh, they did CGI gore there, but like I could forgive it, yeah. and you know, it it was it's good stuff. And then we get the you know the following scene with um, uh, uh, you know, with his girlfriend Mara, who was the the acting debut of this actress, K- uh, Christina K- Christina Bra. I think it was her first film, and I think it's her only film, at least, it, until this date. I mean, it's only the first film she's made. It was it's this year, but I didn't notice anything else on her IMDb. And she's impressive. She does really good, and she's a very, uh, you know, very convincing and whatnot is the distraught girlfriend. But I love the, the ongoing thing is, like, she keeps telling Crawford that she loves him, but he can't say it back. Which you know will <laughs> come around full circle in the end, obviously, because it's like setting up a. Jo- it's like a comedian setting up a joke in in the stand up comedy routine. Yeah. He's going to tell the joke and bring it around full circle later. Yeah. You got to wait for the payoff. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But uh, but yeah, we would get Jeffrey Byron to play in the, again playing professor, telling us in the kind of the pseudo combs. Like I said, too bad they couldn't get combs in it uh but now there's the one question i have i don't know if you know the answer to this maybe you have some insight amanda weiss is playing <laughs> professor mcmichaels is she supposed to be barbara crampton's character or uh her daughter because it would they would be about the same age um, um they never really quite you know w- when they have the one scene where the one or two scenes that's with her where she's giving the the lecture in class about that there's you know what I mean uh if there's life after death. I, I got the idea that she was meant to be the daughter, but her, Amanda Weiss and Barbara Crampton have to be about the same age.
2: Yeah, they are. Um and truthfully, you know, I think Miskatonic was envisioned as sort of just a a modern day sort of you know refreshed retelling of a lot of these concepts and stuff so i don't think there's any real direct connection to any previous cinematic incarnations of lovecraft work um i think she's just her own unique creation so yeah
1: that's what I kind of thought of it myself. Like it got like it was confusing the first time I watched it because I'm just like, okay, is this supposed to be the, the daughter? Is this supposed to be a relation? Then I'm like, you know, I think it it is. It's it, as I always say, it just is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. But I, I love seeing her in it. Uh, I love seeing her in, in anything. And then we get uh, Michael Paré as Professor Wallace, you know, and. <laughs> but i love the part when you know when they're talking about the classes and whatnot there's a couple inside jokes when they're talking about being in butler's class butler director Mm -hmm. writer william butler and then talking about when they stole all the equipment and the supplies from professor gordon it was a couple nice little inside jokes and winks and nods which i appreciated yeah but uh, but yep, Professor Wallace he's he's trouble from the get go. You know he's peeping in on Crawford's search history, looking up all the different things that he had been searching, and including how to dissolve a human body. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he didn't cover his tracks very well, did he? Busy busy boy. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's but nice. I like I like Michael's performance. He played. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a good, right? an, he's a good he's a good antagonist. Yeah, he
2: has such an interesting, understated, suspicious performance for the first like seventy five percent, sixty percent of the movie until <laughs> until things turn. But it, he's so uh, fascinating to watch as a character. So especially, I think that the the interplay between him and Crawford uh, and their sort of troubled. Uh, position with each other as characters is is very interesting. The, the performances, I think, in this are really a, like one of its strongest aspects, honestly. Because I think uh, the lead as Crawford, Dane Oliver, is he creates a very unique, very physical performance of Crawford. You know, it's not just like delivering lines and hitting marks. It's a very You know, full body performance, a lot with a lot of unique mannerisms and things like that. And his, you can tell there's something there between him and Wallace early on, and they don't they don't like each other. They maybe don't trust each other.
1: Yeah, without without getting any kind of history, you know, like mm -hmm. that they have with each other, you know, the immediately as soon as they like interact with one another when they're out in the courtyard.
2: Yeah, there's great. It's palpable.
1: yeah, there's great charisma between the two of them. And was it was it just me, or was it somewhat reminiscent of like that that kind of give and take between Herbert West and Doctor Hill? In you know, whereas the elder teacher is is threatened somewhat by the younger student and wants to kind of you know steal his work. Mm-hmm. I think it played off that very well. Like I said, this is, you know, yeah. you've you said it best. It's not so much a sequel to, you know, From Beyond or Reanimator, but it's it's in that same universe. It's just a, you know, a visual reboot of, of the subject matter, I think. Which, and anybody that is familiar with th- these films, gosh, if you haven't seen Reanimator and you haven't seen From mm-hmm. Beyond, I implore you. Uh, the movies are you know well over 30 years old please get up off your asses and go see them (laughs) they're streaming just about anywhere you can buy physical copies of them about anywhere they're not you know they're not out of print please go see them if you haven't if you if you haven't seen them you're doing you're you're doing yourself a disservice but uh another thing i have uh, as a note here, the resonator, the prop itself is quite impressive looking and I dare say just as good if not more impressive looking than the resonator that was in From Beyond. Yeah, the
2: prop the prop used in the movie and a lot of the production design and everything is really, really on point and visually striking because it, it definitely catches your attention.
1: Oh yes, it's not just like oh this is a prop you you when you watch this at least for myself i find myself believing yeah. that this object exists like oh this re- resonator is a real thing
2: you know mm-hmm. it's
1: not just like a oh the, you can like i can see the seams where this was put together i can see where the hot glue and the duct tape is holding everything together it's got got to be
2: own whole separate character
1: oh yeah definitely and i love when it when they do turn it on into visual effects it's got a very it's a very much got a, a color scheme just like uh the movie color out of space the nicolas cage film you know that was out recently also very uh, much uh, a a uh, you know the part of the the lovecraft lore it's got that those kind of magentas and, and purples and pinks and just very visually co- colorful and striking but uh <laughs> I do like the, the the discussion also that they have in, with in the cl- class with between the different students, where it says people with schizophrenia are actually just straddling multiple dimensions, and what they that they're they're not uh, mentally ill; they're just seeing things that we're not supposed to be seeing. And I'm like, good way to write the mythology, good way to rewrite that, <laughs> and re- yeah. rewrite the rewrite the science, if you will.
2: Yeah, it's definitely it's. Yeah, it's like that weird kind of generic moment you have to have in every movie like this, where it's like someone has to explain the, you know, the the pseudo, you know, baloney movie science of, you know, what's actually happening. And it's it's a pretty interesting concept that, you know, the pe- schizophrenics, crazy people, all that stuff, you know. Psychics, <laughs> you know, tweakers—that they're all just people with really <laughs> overactive, penny old land,
1: able to just kind of see uh, more than the average person can. I love how they they lump uh, tweakers in in with the uh, schizophrenics, schizophrenics and tweakers. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: r- r- really? <laughs> you
2: know, mind people taking mind altering drugs or something? You know that probably, you know, expand their mental horizons, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who would have known the people following around the Grateful Dead were really just riding those those multiple dimensions, right? And they're parallel dimensions,
2: looking into other other dimensions the whole time.
1: Jerry Garcia. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like, uh, again, the, some of the more to the visual effects, the, uh, I called it the Brian vision where they, mm. uh, where he, <laughs> where Crawford is sitting there and he ha- has the vision where Brian is sitting next to him, talking to him without a head, eating, but stuffing potato chips down his neck hole while blood is squirting out. I mean, maybe I'm yeah, just a sick he, of twisted individual.
2: Like, he's like, don't be an ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> like he goes to shove some potato chips into his non-existent head. Right, and blood is continuously just spurting out of his head, is just (laughs) yeah, it's just sort of like like, like flowing upwards into the air. So, there's two that's an amusing moment, and the moment when Professor Wallace is you know looking up uh Crawford's search history and all that stuff, and he has his dream, you know, he has his flash of. Professor Tellingast and Stephanie
1: when he jumps up and he wakes up. Oh yeah, like, with the tentacle, yeah, yeah, comes up and yeah. tries choking him out.
2: Yeah, And he jumps up and then he. It's funny because he looks around his office and the look on his face, like, ah, fuck. And he he just like out of anger, just like steps over and he smacks the glasses off this table and smashes it. <laughs> <them.
1: laughs> it's just like, why are you wasting a good about good glass of uh, Crown Royal, man? It, they had Crown Royal didn't do nothing to you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Now, when Crawford, you know, I I don't understand, like, he's already, like, quote, unquote, even though we never see it, he's disposed of uh, Brian's body, you know, because at least we're led to believe that's what he did, because, you know, he was Googling how to, or searching how to uh, dissolve a human body. So when he brings back, you know, a couple of his friends, you got his his friend Bear, uh, you got Carrie. And then uh, Mara and Brandon, I think, is the other one. Brandon was the character that I liked the most because he, he was just very wired. And, like, I think the actor that played him was Austin Woods, if I'm correct.
0: Mm-hmm. I think if
1: I remember right. But I'm, I'm, I'm going off of memory here, so I might be wrong. But uh, I, I liked it. He was the, the best one of the group because when everything goes wrong, when he shows them how the resonator works – and my question is, like, why would, I mean, I know he was a man on a mission, you know, Crawford was, and, you know, he was obsessed as much as his father was. Why, after, like, you know, he's he's always telling everybody, don't turn it on, don't turn it on, don't do this. But he's the first person to be like, hey, I want to turn this on, see what it can do. Like,
2: <laughs> very, very showy with, like, okay, let's, let, let me show you this. Like, he's so secret with, like, what he's been doing and how. You know, like, uh, Brian and Bear have been stealing him the, the components to to work on it and everything. And, you know, and then the moments are all, you know, getting drunk and kind of partying. You know, the quote-unquote, Miskatonic use, you know, greatest minds um, out on the town. You know, he's very much like, okay, yeah, this is what I've been
1: doing. Let me show you.
0: <laughs> so...
1: Yeah, after after it's already killed one of his friends, he's like, Yeah, no big deal. I'm just gonna show you know these guys what this thing can do. And again, every time they turn this thing on, it's it's some great effects. It's it's not it's you know, it's very comic bookish with the colors and whatnot, but it never feels uh, it never feels cheap. It always feels like very top notch, like with the visuals and whatnot. I dare say again and somebody out there will freaking string me up for saying this but i dare say it's even the effects are even just as good if not better than the effects and from beyond then again you're talking you know this is 30 years after the fact you know the effects the way they can do effects these days are you know just that much more advanced and you know the thing about the resonator it just makes you throw out your you know it doesn't just break down The walls between parallel dimensions, it breaks down your inhibitions because it makes every, like I said, uh, or like I wrote in my notes here, everything becomes very sexy, sexy and sticky and slimy. That's what the resonator does. Yep cuz everybody either has visions of wanting to make out with somebody or they're having visions of people touching them and getting naked then there's always some tentacles going around there's the the uh, I don't even know if they ever even gave her a name other than in the uh, IMDB credits was the female entity the the the, the naked tentacle lady creature the, she's gorgeous the character itself is just like mixture of like grotesque and gorgeous at the same time. Mm-hmm. But everything is so sticky and so slimy, <laughs> which is this kind of a motif of uh, Lovecraft lore, you know, it's bloody, sticky and slimy. But you know, this is about the point' about the point when you know Crawford shows them what the resonator can do. Would this be the point where uh, they leave the resonator on too long and and Mara gets, skewered in it the this is technically if you watch it on full moon streaming where the, it's the end of the first chapter the first episode and like if you're breaking this up and you're watching it online like i had this is the point where you would be done with chapter one because it ends with mara getting skewered through her chest or through her stomach by one of the tentacle creatures and she shoots the resonator at the same time and it ends on that kind of cliffhanger now you watched it on d v d does it does it uh have a weird kind of edit there, but where it picks up where part two starts off?
2: I do feel like there is a you know kind of strange cut where it kind of goes to black for a moment and it sort of feels you know pasted together from something <laughs> else but uh that and even where the you know the, I believe it was the opening credits, you know, reappear on episode two. There's an, another weird moment where it sort of, you know, goes from one thing to another, but overall, I think it, it plays okay. So, and, and if you're watching in an episode format to the, the Mara Impalement, was a, for me at least, because I watched episode one probably three or four times before episode two dropped. And that was such a, a big sort of shocking <laughs> final moment before it cuts to credits. Yeah, very <laughs> abrupt, very abrupt. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. So, because she's such a, like, if you were gonna, to expect anyone that to happen to anyone in that group, it's not her. <laughs> so... Right, like, right. So much more of a, what you would picture to be a more important character than that was, and not as much of a throwaway because uh, I feel like there's one or two more throwaway characters in that bunch than her. No offense to the the writing or the performances
1: but uh, well, for, it would, if it would have happened to like the Carrie character, the blonde uh, girl or if it would have happened uh, to Bear or, or Brandon <laughs> it wouldn't have been much of a surprise but the fact that it happened to Mara was just like oh well that's thing that just happened but yep they pick right up in part two or the second half of the film depending on how which way you're watching it uh with them trying to save mara and which with some very questionable um efforts because she did get skewered by a big like
2: medical equipment's just like right at arm's length to tend to her (laughs) (laughs) right right there and they just jump straight
1: in like boom we're gonna we're gonna save this bitch's life (laughs) well i didn't understand like because i've you know been under the knife i've been in a couple of hospitals and and it just seems to me like uh it seems very questionable that they would that they would be you know this thing skewered her through her stomach so what it would tore up her her either her liver or her intestines or something It wouldn't have messed up her heart. It wouldn't have made her heart stop. So why were they using a defibrillator to shock her heart? It just seemed to me like they were using, to me, the wrong equipment to try and revive her. It just, I don't don't know. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'm I'm no doctor, so. But uh, I feel like her her, uh, wounds were a lot more fatal than they end up being. Because she's saved, you know, they put in a little work, you know, keeping her alive. And then she's saved and coughs up the blood and stuff. And I think that's when it cuts to an episode two for your opening credit sequence after she coughs up the blood and comes back to life. But um, she's saved pretty easily and she recoups fairly easily because they say later on that she's only just got a, you know, some kind of abdominal i don't remember the exact terminology but some kind of you know
1: rupture yeah (laughs) i think that's the term they they use actually is an abdominal rupture but this thing skewered her stabbed her in the back and popped right out her stomach
2: yeah it straight impaled her front front to back so (laughs) right so
1: it wasn't just like oh tis a flesh wound no this is not a flesh wound this was a mortal wound (laughs) you know but dematerialized so quickly it didn't
2: leave as much damage inside of her
1: so maybe that's it you know it's part of what i call sharknado science it's that it's that kind of like that movie science that they just don't you know they just they don't explain because they don't have to they got to keep that story moving along that's one of the few things that's a detractor from this movie is it's like i'm like oh like the way that she like recovered so quickly like she's coughing up a gallon of blood she's bleeding out she's been impaled And the next thing you know she's just like oh here here's something like they bring her some amoxicillin yeah. she's like up walking around like the next day or two later <laughs> right just fine and you know her friends bring her amoxicillin like this will help stave up any infection you know it it's it's kind of silly it's a little bit silly but you know you got to take that with a little bit of a grain a grain of salt you know it just is what it is yeah movie movie
2: reality <laughs> right right suspension of disbelief is a real thing <laughs> right exactly it's a, it's a real needed uh, ask you know, and that's again no uh no de- deterrent you know on this film it's just like you know how things play out in film sometimes you just gotta like roll with it and be like, okay. <laughs>
1: Right. You know, because, hey, these people are are filmmakers and screenwriters. They're not doctors. So, you know, what they what they don't know won't hurt their characters for real. (laughs) But I think Brandon, the Brandon character that Austin Woods plays is totally right. Uh, You know, after all this has happened, he's like, we just need to destroy this thing. We need to, to dismantle it. We need to tear it apart and. You know he's right from the beginning. He's the only one that's like you know like hey we need to destroy this thing. You're going to hurt somebody. Somebody else is going to get hurt. Somebody else is going to die. But you know then Wallace shows up and we kind of glossed over that during the original uh, experiment when he was when Crawford is showing all his friends this how the resonator works. You know Professor Wallace steps in for a minute, watches it, and then just promptly leaves.
2: Which I have to interject. He he came in and he saw it. So why wasn't he affected by it at all?
1: Maybe he was. <laughs> maybe he was.
2: Um, granted, I mean, he only watched for a few moments and then bolted. So.
1: Yeah, like maybe, maybe it took. Maybe it would take longer for the, you know, for the, for the resonator to take effect. Again, yeah. you know, movie logic, right? But like, then he comes back and he does the interruption and he's just like, when they're all. <sighs> Who was it? Which character was it? Was it Bear that found the jacket? That yeah, Brian's jacket in Crawford's. Yeah. Yeah. And he he puts two and two together. He, he suspects that Brian is either A dead or something bad's happened to him. He's like, Where's Brian? And he's like, Oh, well, he must have left the jacket in my car. And he's like, No, nope, no. Nope. He's like, We were stealing that shit from Professor Gordon for you that night. And he said he was going right to see you. Where is he? Then. This and that particular moment, Wallace shows up, Michael Perret shows up and interrupts, and he's like, oh, Brian's in Canada to give some bullshit excuse about him running illegal prescription drugs, you know, across. This uh, moment has
2: the funniest lines in the whole movie to me, because right before Wallace shows up and Bear's grilling Crawford, <laughs> Crawford says, oh, you want to pile on to Bear? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> and then gives his speech and then he, and it took me like the second or third viewing before I caught exactly what Pere was saying. But when he says, oh yeah, Twink like that'll be quite popular in jail. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, yeah, it, it does. It, it happens so fast that I, I admit I did not catch it the first time, nor did I catch it the second time. But this third time I watched it uh, when I watched it for the review this morning, I caught that, and it's like, oh, he'll be twink like that. will be popular in prison, and it's like, yeah, I've, oh, I've I get what he's trying to say there. I've watched it overall five or
2: six times now, and each time I've watched it, I've kind of picked up on some things I missed, you know, before. And uh, it it it's a movie that to me does legitimately play better the more you watch it, as well, because there's just so much going on, and there's so many characters, and uh, it actually it, it it does have really good repeat value. I'll I'll leave it at that for the moment. So, okay. well, we're doing
1: spoilers awesome. here, but we don't want to ruin every little thing about it. We mm-hmm. want we want the people to go see it because I, I implore you, like uh, if those listening at home, like please watch this. If you okay. if you don't have Full Moon streaming, please pick it up on DVD. I have not yet myself, but I've watched it streaming a couple times. Uh, I agree with Dustin here. It, it it's a it's a movie that gets better with every viewing. Yeah, it's
2: there's so much detail and stuff that you can. I've I've picked up on new stuff just about each reviewing. I mean, it's definitely worth the stream or, You know, the the pretty cheap cost of the DVD or DVD or Blu-ray.
0: So.
1: yeah pull moon folks does not charge an arm and a leg for their dvds or their blu-rays you can get them usually what 10 15 pretty cheap it is well worth the buy
2: yeah they're they're you know not not trying to sound like the spokesman over here or anything but like their cost on those have actually went down a lot in the last couple months because but you can get brand new dvds like resonator for like 10 bucks and the blu-rays could be like 25 bucks to like 17 bucks now
1: yeah very affordable folks again we're we're not like dustin just said we are not spokesman's him. we're just uber fans but you know definitely worth the if you haven't seen it and you want to blind buy it i would highly recommend it i'm not going to guarantee it because i'm not going to reimburse you your money (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) will not guarantee it but i would almost almost guarantee it that you would like this but uh, yeah, Wallace with his interruption, uh, you know, with the whole Brian's in Canada, and he tells everybody—he tells everybody in the room—you you want to keep working here, you want to keep uh, studying here, you want to keep your you know scholarships. Everybody, get the fuck out now! And everybody, but of course Crawford, who you know, of which has him to stick around,
2: has that another very funny parade moment too, because as they're all walking out, parade's like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, bye bye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he does have kind of a smarmy attitude about him that i just like that he he's, kind of brings with him to about every performance doesn't he like a very low-key sort of just very charismatic
2: snide prickish thing going on with him that i love
1: he's very much like an extension of like uh, not just this character but like a lot of the characters he plays is a lot like david gill uh, you know, he has this Marmy kind of attitude to just like, yeah, I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. And I know it. And that's all you need to know. Yep. But uh, <laughs> I love how he just he forces Crawford to turn it on. He tells him, turn it on. He's like, no. He's like, OK, here's a gun pointed in your face. <laughs> turn it, turn it, <laughs> turn it on. And he's just like. No, I'm not going to turn it on. So, what does he do? He doesn't waste a, a beat. He shoots him in the arm, Yeah, you know, albeit a flesh wound, but he's still just like, yep, I'm going to shoot my student in the arm. Turn this fucking thing on. Uh, yep. I, I do think that one point where it's the, with the, I call it when weak sauce Crawford attempts to destroy the resonator, he's going to turn it on, turns it on for a few seconds, whips out that, obviously obviously fake plastic airsoft shotgun that has no recoil on it fires it and and fucks up the resonator only to be forced by professor wallace to uh you know to fix it (laughs) he's like you're gonna fix it next like couple hours (laughs) like right right i do think it's funny when though when they uh this is one of my favorite lines it, I. It's when the, the group of friends go to visit Mara, who's up and up and walking around at her at her house, not in the hospital, not in the hospital recovering like she should be from being impaled by a big giant tentacle. But just like, oh, you know, like, here's some amoxicillin. This is for your infection. You'll be all right. No. Oh, and by the way, weird question. But your parents have any guns <laughs> <laughs> and her parents just happen to have a cache of pump shotguns. Like, the, the, their, their budget must have went 90% to building that resonator and to My, Amanda Weiss and Michael Perret's, you know, salaries. And the rest Maybe of it must have gone for their pump shotgun Maybe there
2: was a deleted scene where they mentioned that Mara's family were members of the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's that probably not too far from the truth. Yeah, it's the only thing that would explain them having all those like shotguns, which is funny, too, because I didn't really think about it much until the last viewing or two where after she's impaled Mars, pretty much just like not in the movie. She's just kind of like not there and she's not she doesn't take part in anything regarding the climax.
1: So, no, no, She they just go to her. they make they ask her if she's got, you know, her parents have any guns and then she pops up at the end for. You know a quick scene she's pretty much absent from the movie for the whole like i'd have to say almost the whole second half of the film yeah and maybe you have some insight to this now the heart that's in the glass jar that Mm -hmm. starts beating on its own when crawford uh turns on the resonator do you think that was supposed to be uh, uh brian's heart because I thought the—that's the, what um, I thought. That's the impression that I got. They never say it, but like for some reason, that's the way I saw it. Just I never curious.
2: really thought about it truthfully, but that's very possible. Honestly, I, you know, Billy Butler is probably the only man who could answer that for sure. <laughs> but
1: no, yeah, but it, it Mr. Butler, possible. if you're listening, we have questions. You got answers. We need to know.
2: It's definitely probably plausible though, because he had. you know, a whole body to get rid of. And I I picture that deleted scene in my mind. I know it doesn't exist, but like I picture that deleted scene feeling like some really bad evening at like Dahmer's apartment where he's like, (laughs) like shove Brian, you know, like some pretty twink's body into like a drum full of like acid or something to dissolve it. So it's, it's very possible. Yeah. He could have cut the heart out. What I, what I always, Find fascinating is is the way that the jar is sitting there, and there's, you know, an inch or two of blood in the bottom, you know, of it, and the heart is just sitting upright (laughs) in the jar. Right. Uh, Yes. Like Like a suspended. Yeah. Yeah, Like it's propped up in the blood somehow, but there's nothing showing it being held up. It looks like it's just sort of like maybe dangling from the lid or
1: something. Which, as they show it, eating the lids moving with so i don't know yeah it's kind of it's, it's questionable again it's movie science you know we just got to suspend that disbelief just a little bit
2: and i'll say this you know at least you know in this day and age anytime you can get tangible on set stuff no matter how good or not good I'm not saying this looks super good or super bad um When you've got something real on set, that will always trump shitty computer effects. And this movie does use a lot of digital effects. There's a lot of CGI, but just to really uh, hammer it home for the naysayers and stuff, like they used a load of practical effects in this movie with a lot of the creatures and stuff that come out of – the, you know, the parallel dimensions from the resonator
1: and stuff, those are all real on-set, like, things. <laughs> right,
0: extend- and there's something
1: to be said about using practical, using a mixture of practical effects augmented with CGI, and mm-hmm. I think that's what they do well. They, they, you know, they use a lot of that parallel dimension that stuff, or a lot of the CGI stuff with the parallel dimension, you know, creatures and the visuals that they have. But like you said, like a lot of that stuff is on the screen. It's in camera, and you just can't substitute that.
2: Real giant
1: life-size
2: creatures and stuff on set that they just accentuated with some CGI. So uh, gorgeous CGI too, because I love the I love the very purple color scheme. So
1: it's very it's just very gorgeous to look at. And I love what, like, <laughs> speaking of a good practical effect, I, I, I don't, <laughs> it was something that I didn't quite understand, but I love is when uh, Tilingus is going around trying to find the heart after it falls off the, the shelf and the jar shatters and it's left a bloody trail around his, his loft. And he finds it, it's mutated, it's got tentacles coming out of him, and it starts to gnaw into his shoulder. He defeats it by taking a bite out of it and throwing it into a drum that I'm yeah. just going to guess was probably filled with uh, acid, which was what he was, you know, probably. Googling on how to dissolve a human body. So I'm assuming that's just like what he did. But he just takes the bite out of it. It's just like, hey, I'm just you bit me, I'm going to bite you next, motherfucker.
2: Yeah, it's a very, it's funny because it's a very, uh, I don't want this to sound like sexist, but it's a very. Feminine kind of feeling way of like fighting back. It's like I'm gonna bite you,
0: <laughs> you know.
2: A very not necessarily, right. but maybe like a not overly masculine way of fighting back is probably the better way to put it. Because, uh, it, but it, but it's right. effective. It, it gets it to loosen its grip, and then he can get it off. So, right.
1: Oh, get it off! I see what you did there. No, no,
2: no. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> that, you know, the huge gush of um
1: splooge that hits him, back <laughs> yeah. The big place. splash of splash of that hits him in the, yeah. the face after he, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, like
2: Dane Oliver has a great head of hair, so <laughs> the, when it he does have a magnificent mane of hair, doesn't he? Yeah, he? He has he has great hair and it, it hits that hair perfectly, and then he just in the way he just kind of like flips the. Slop back is is <laughs> is very amusing and kind of like, you know, I don't give a fuck.
1: <laughs> like I'm well, love, you know, he's but, very a, yeah. a very prim and proper character, Crawford is. And Dane Oliver is a very prim and proper kind of like he plays it very prim and proper. But I love like after he after he gets hit with the big, you know, gallon of blew in the face, his replies is, just, ah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <Isn't
2: that laughs> like mean, even he's right? had it. Isn't it when he stuffs it into the drum too? Is when he he says his homage line where he's like, you know, I've had just about enough of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. Some very Herbert West kind of style dialogue, I would say. But then uh, what happens next? We get well as he's trying to get back, he's hit in the face with a fire extinguisher from uh, from Professor Wallace, who is now dressed in a cloak that looks like he's yeah, a member of the jim jones cult like i didn't under <laughs> they, they they don't explain that at all do they he looks like he's gonna be
2: dr Mordred, <laughs> like <laughs> right got, does. Like, he, he's got like his blue wizards cloak on and he's got like the medallion around his neck Like <laughs> he's ready to like wield magic and like fucking like take over
1: dimensions dude <laughs> like right right oh yeah he's He's dressed to the nines, you know. It makes you wonder if uh, he had that cloak in his closet, just waiting for this day.
2: Probably, I, I most definitely think that he did because he, he had. had well, I mean, had this in his mind the entire time.
1: This is what he. This is the whole point. Well, I mean, it's revealed here in the next scene where that Wallace helped um, helped his father, the help Crawford's father you know, the Jeffrey Combs character from, uh, from beyond, you know, designed the schematics for the, for the resonator. And that like, but Crawford, uh, you know, the, the OG Crawford had other plans. He wanted to help humanity. And what did, uh, Michael Pere <laughs> wanted to be? He wanted to be a God. Another, another classic line
2: of dialogue. He wanted to help something like, he wanted to help humanity. I wanted to be a God.
1: <laughs> and he says like, it with with great conviction. True. You believe it that that's what he wanted, right?
2: Yeah, same as like when he, you know, like earlier in the movie, you know, Crawford says, you know, never touch the hull of the resonator, you know, because it's got the uranium core and all this stuff. And then, you know, Wallace just goes up and just like puts his hands on it, and he's like, to control them, these beasts, you must become one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, you're he, he was fully convicted to this plan uh from day one. <laughs> he was just waiting for um uh, Professor Guest's son to complete the work so he could uh do what
1: he wanted to do all along. So which was be to become one of those creatures and become a god and it was all all due to that pineal gland the pineal gland is you know how we're able to see those creatures and able to communicate and traverse the lines between the parallel dimensions and uh, this is the,
2: he wanted the, that power he wanted to you know ascend to uh, his higher plateau of uh, being and
1: he does <laughs> he gets it. And he ends up looking like, you know, he looks ends up looking like a melted version of, of what a, a typical gray alien looks like, you know, uh-huh. but he, he gets what he wants. Uh, you know, he becomes one of them and, you know, to control them, you must become one of them. And then he, I mean, he, he does. It. And I, I love the, like, <laughs> I love the comedic timing of this when bear shows up with the baseball bat. He's like nice form. And he, Bats him in the head with a baseball,
2: (laughs) which is an amusing callback as well. That was a setup too, if you if you notice that when Wallace first shows up and is questioning Crawford about you know the missing stuff from Gordon's office and yada yada yada, right, right. And Bear says something about like uh, you know he's got the football and he's like I was at practice and he's like interesting that you you go you know to a school that shapes the greatest minds in the world and you play football and he's like, what can I say? I kick ass. Right. right. <laughs> he comes in and clubs him with the bat. He's like, I told you I kick ass.
1: <laughs> You're right. Right. Yeah, it is a good callback. Well, then, cause, uh, Wallace does something to him, and he's like, well, hope it's better than your, your swing on the baseball team or something like that. Cause he plays football and baseball yeah. and the, the ironic that he, you know, uses the, baseball bat to try to take him out is this is great it's like I, I said it's like a great comedian setting you up with a joke and you're just waiting for that punchline.
2: that's that's a different level to the homage than even i picked up after five or six viewings with him having played both sports and the fact that he wallace does make that comment about him you know some about your backswing or something like that uh, i think the line was one aspect of his Athleticism in one one field is better than the other, and then he shows up and I actually hits him with the baseball bat instead. <laughs> um, oh yeah, it's good shit. It's good shit. Players. players, Billy Billy succeeded
1: exponentially on this film. So <laughs> yes, he did. He his uh he's uh, succeeded leaps and bounds from the from doing uh, Ginger Dead Man three and Demonic Toys two. You know, he he is, uh, he's grown as a filmmaker exponentially. <laughs> yep, definitely. But then we get the friends show up with shotguns to the rescue that really perfect. The shotgun, <laughs> huh? perfect, perfect timing. Yeah. yeah. But then Funny. we get the, between friends with shotguns and the appearance of ghost dad saves the day and everything does it, again, another weird bit of editing, everything kind of, ends abruptly when the resonator blows up and it's just you kind of believe that it's the next day but like it's which, very... which makes you
2: want to know like you tell me like after that sequence what happens
1: i think it opened i think, to... open, I think your... i'll be I'll, I'll tell you what i think and then i'll be interested to hear what you think uh what, what with what comes next i think it's it transfers crawford to a parallel dimension.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think a parallel version or because everybody is fine. Uh, Mara is fine and has no recollection of what's going on. She's wearing an an engagement ring. (laughs) Yeah. Things play out.
2: Things do play out. too, because uh, like Brian never even appeared in that original. Sequence because he was already dead, right? At that point, so yeah,
1: like he was already long dead. Because Brian shows, but yet yeah, Brian does show back up. Wallace well, is well, still there and is unaffected. Things you know, he, like that for me support your theory. Yeah, so you're the same opinion then, correct? Not completely, no. Okay, so I mean, but, like, what, go ahead, go ahead. You go ahead and finish your spiel with the
2: what happens, and then I'll tell you what I think.
1: Well, I mean, he he's, you know, I mean, for those listening at home, uh, Crawford is reunited with all his friends and everybody is, you know, kind of doesn't. I, I don't know if it reset time or if it reset to a different parallel dimension because Brian is still there. You know, Brian has been long dead. He was the, the first kill two minutes into the movie. He, he's there and introduces his new friend. Yeah, a very young but a very familiar face uh, to us, but a well a familiar name. The new student, name Herbert West, played by young uh, Josh Cole, who very familiar musical cue too. (laughs) Yes, I made a note of that. This time I did not. I don't know how I overlooked it the first time. Maybe I just was taking it all in. But that very familiar reanimator musical cue, and they, you know, and. Herbert West is there looking very prim and very proper, very, uh, you know, it's a great ending. I, I love the ending of this where everybody is. It seems like nobody is in on this, but, but, uh, you know, uh, Dana Oliver Crawford, like mm-hmm. he suspects something is up, you know, whether or not, you know, they'll answer this in the sequel in the part two. But mm-hmm. I, I personally think it's either one of two things, either at reset time, or it's in another parallel dimension. I'm leaning towards the parallel dimension. And the parallel dimension idea I think is
2: supported in that if you were in a parallel dimension, you know, things aren't gonna play out 100% the way they would, you know, in dimension A as they would in dimension B. And I think something like Brian still being alive at that exact point is potential evidence of that. Because like we said, the original timeline he was already dead right so what i think is during that climax sequence when Pare comes in you know he says oh blah 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 you know i think he says something about world domination he's like you know a typical tuesday
1: i do like that line it's just another typical tuesday actually yeah a typical tuesday
2: so everything happens cut to black we come back to that opening scene and you know, things are unfolding right there. Someone says that it's Friday. And that's what tips Crawford off. and he's like, "Wait a minute, Friday. You know it's it's like four days earlier, already, five days earlier. You yeah. know, and suspicious. then Brian shows up. He's introduced to Herbert. And then we get that amazing shot, in my opinion of Paret walking up from the, oh, back. The,
1: the the slow-mo shot where he starts to grin.
2: Yeah, the low, slow-mo shot with just the very sinister grin and McMichaels is behind as well because she's not really utilized much
1: at all in this movie. Uh Amanda Weiss. But yeah, yeah she was just originally in the one scene in the you know, just it, towards the beginning in the classroom, and then the scene at the end here, it's really all the use her in you know that when she's got that pendant on, though, after her and Crawford's
2: You know, running in class, and she pulls that out, and she's rubbing it. You know that she's evil. you know oh, and then yes. and that, by the fact that the pendant he's wearing. Uh, around his neck matches so um, she is into the same things i would presume that he is what i took out of the final scene was at one point someone talks about becoming all powerful it might have been wallace i don't remember but uh, and the ability to you know control time wallace said He wanted to be a god. He went up and touched the resonator, absorbed power from it, transformed, ascended into a higher being. My theory is he isn't one to be bested, so he reset time. Ah. Because he's like, you're not going to fucking defeat me. Like... I am the alpha here. And I think, you know, and, but like I said, William Butler is probably the only one that can, you know, tell us this, you know, which is, which is what makes it fun because, you know, everyone can have their own theory. Uh, I believe that he s- still retained power. He did become a higher being. And I think that he turned the clock back to potentially save himself uh you know and crawford caught on to that i think that helps play into the very smug look on his face like ha you thought you beat me but you didn't look where we are you know it's like you're gonna live through this all over again bitch and i'm still the one with the power that's not the
1: one that's still gonna win right (laughs)
2: That's what I took from it. You know, that, that slow-mo shot, but that look on his face walking up, that is such a powerful shot to me. Like It almost brings a fucking tear to my eye.
1: Oh, it's like so it, good. Stone- I, love, I love it when he, he's so stone-faced in that first couple of steps he takes as he's strutting forward, but then he does that full big tooth grin, you know, toothy grin because he knows he's,
2: he knows he won. That's what that says to me. He won. He's got his he's got his number one behind him with McMichaels. You know, he's the boss. That's the way I that's the way I took that. So how that'll all play out come as, you know, the inevitable sequel, uh, is hard to say. Hopefully they'll be able to get everyone back. And hopefully Pere and Amanda, you know, and uh
1: everyone will be able to be involved in it it does and make Jeff- me wonder if they if the sequel does actually happen mm-hmm. how big of a part if any uh the herbert west character will have in it cuz i thought that was that's the part that almost brought a tear to my eye when he's when he's like oh this is you know my new friend you know the the new exchange to it herbert west so i was like
2: oh. like yes <laughs> and you know what I'll go off on a side tangent for a brief moment. The appearance appearance of Herbert West at the end of this movie is exponentially more effective and thought-provoking about the future ramifications of what could happen within this film's universe as opposed... To the appearance of Herbert West in the mid-ish credits
1: scene of the Castle Freak remake. Oh, see, I have not seen the Castle Freak remake. You don't need to. (laughs) No, uh, that's what I've heard. I've heard many things about it, and and to be quite honest, none of them good. I
2: don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll say this. You know, I think one of the beauties that helps. The resonator, Miskatonic you is the fact that Charles Band and William Butler didn't say, okay, let's remake from beyond. They decided to just honor, honor a legend and honor the material and the author and create something similar but wholly new and fresh while still incorporating ideas within bigger Lovecraftian lore as well instead of just being like
1: yeah, we remade this right right um, And I'm I've already uh, I've admitted this on the show many times uh, I don't hate all remakes, but I, I am I, I, I have really, Just not a fan. Not a fan. Nine times out of ten, of the majority of remakes. Why making something when you can make fresh things? I mean, you and I were just
2: talking about similar things. You know, when you can you can create something instead of you know milking you know existing you know stuff. Yeah,
1: and existing intellectual properties. So, but but that being
2: said, I feel like you know, and this was done on a much smaller scale than the Cinestate remake of Castle Freak. So I feel like with the Castle Freak remake, they were trying to do the same thing because in that they do reference multiple things within the Lovecraft universe. Uh, Like they were trying to make Castle Freak sort of a ground zero for a Lovecraftian cinematic universe. Ah, uh, I gotcha. There's talk of, you know, like, just a lot of stuff.
0: <laughs> and,
2: yeah. and then, you know, the appearance of Herbert West at the end, which creates its own implications for a possible sequel, uh, which I will take an educated guess and say that we will never get a sequel or a spinoff or a continuation of anything from that movie because of, uh, you know, the way Cinestate imploded which is a whole conversation
1: for another time yeah we Uh, could do a whole another show of uh, a show just based on how that whole company just imploded upon itself
2: but that being said i don't think there will ever be they they won't ever explore that anymore and i know many people that love that uh and that's Great. You know, it's, I'm glad people like it. Um, oh, it's to a, each their own. If we all like yeah, the same thing, it'd be, it'd be a
1: boring the, world, I guess.
2: Uh, and it's a very slick, well made movie. But at the same time, you know, Castle Freak is one of those movies for me for full, where it's like, and it's a, it, it's a Stuart Gordon film. There is yeah. one Stuart Gordon, period. You don't have the ability to make something Stuart Gordon made and make it better. Stuart, (laughs) right? Stuart Gordon, he was called a master for a reason. He was a god in horror. You don't do better than him. I'm sorry, that sounds probably snobby and elitist, but that's how I feel about Stuart Gordon. You're not going Uh to make Better film than him.
1: That's not. Oh, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Yeah. You, you, nothing, you can't reprove upon the master.
2: Yeah. Nothing will ever trump Combs and Crampton in that castle with Jonathan Fuller and head to toe fucking makeup covered in ultra slime. That movie is an absolute nightmare. And it's simple, it's not trying to be 20 things, you know, which is what the Newcastle Freak tried to do. Approached Miskatonic U, I think, in a much smarter way where they didn't remake anything. They just took themes and ideas and uh, updated them, added to them, and, you know, still kept control, though, you know. And right, right. I think it plays infinitely more successfully than the Castle Freak remake. And in my opinion, thankfully, Miskatonic U will be the one that we have much likelier. Uh, great, you know, uh, possibility for actually getting sequels.
0: Yeah, I
1: mean, I will eventually, just by process of elimination, I will eventually see the Castle Freak remake, because I have to. Yeah. You know, you I totally have to did.
2: see it. yeah, it you was totally just did. like
1: puppet master the littlest Reich. I avoided that to be honest. I avoided that for the first year. it was out before I finally saw it. but I had to, you know, and am I happy? mean anyway, did I like it? No, but am I happy I saw it? Yes, you know, because yeah, he it's weeps a movie. and points their finger in shame at you for
2: saying that. Michael fucking Paray. who has has the most understated performance as a fucking cop in that movie humanly possible
1: (laughs) yeah he's uh he's much better in uh miskatonic you than he than he was in puppet master littlest strike
2: just a detriment to paris acting capability let me state that for the record his role in littlest strike is just junk (laughs)
0: like there's (laughs)
2: literally nothing for him to do in that movie and he, he's just seems very like his character
1: is uninterested
2: in what's happening so
1: well it's a very throwaway character you know it's just he, he's he's able to like chew up the scenery and really get something he can sink sink his teeth into in yeah. miskatonic you
2: yeah for me the beauty of littlest Reich was the fact that it was technically like the unofficial 13th ish film in that franchise and at that point you know there's been so many movies there's been so many approaches and things that just like nothing really phases me it's not really a remake either it's like its own weird standalone (laughs) kind of like curse you know shit like that it's just like you know you could just look at it as another rando installment that really has no bearing on what came before it or after it's just like yeah that happened whatever
1: Yeah, like, as you have often said, uh, in public and in private, you know, it's a movie. You know, (laughs) it's a movie, right? (laughs) It's there.
0: (laughs) Like, it's there. Um,
1: That being said, let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts and ratings on this. And you know as well as anybody, uh, guests go first. So go ahead and uh, give us your final thoughts and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10
2: definitely you know i when it was announced towards the end of last year that full moon was going to be embarking on a movie that would borrow from gordon's 80s empire films uh i was hesitant and not 100 percent behind the idea um uh, I wasn't sure if I thought that Full moon had the resources or capability to pull off a movie like that. And that's and again, I will say this statement again, that's no detriment to the company. I think it's just times are different, you know. But mm. um, they shot it and the movie came out. And I do truly think that, you know the resonator miskatonic U, takes old older ideas familiar, Setups material, um, freshens it up for a modern audience. Uh, it's a well-written film, finely directed
0: by William Butler.
2: Really, really solid cast. I think Perea's a, a definite standout. Amanda's solid. The cast of new uh, characters in it. They're really good. Each person is very uniquely different and charismatic. Very fun cast. Great charisma. Gorgeous cast. They're really good. The effects are solid. It's a beautifully shot film. The effects are neat. The prop is cool. I love everything about this movie. Hands down. Even things that I think might not be 100 percent like say the blood effects on brian's kill you know they still lend to what the movie's doing you know and and yeah. this movie serious but it still has a slight you know part in camp i think for me as well so things like that don't deter from it they they play into it so i think It's a great film. Like I said, I think it's a very layered film. Every time I've watched it, I've picked up on things that I didn't notice before, even talking with you tonight about it. I've picked up on things that I hadn't noticed watching it. So it's definitely, it's a really solid film. I think it's a very good example of what Full Moon can do with good talent, a great script, and a good director, and, you know, Butler approached this with his heart in the right place, Um, you know, I believe Gordon was his mentor, and, you know, they did a lot of work together, spent a lot of time together, and if Stewart were alive, I think that he would be very proud of what Butler did. Uh, For me, I think this is some of the total cream of the crop for Modern Full Moon. I think this movie, in my opinion, even a few minor quibbles here and there, it is a solid 10 out of 10 for me. I find it 200% enjoyable. I've loved it every time I've watched it, and every time I watch it, I love it more, and I hope to God they make 10 sequels. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well you know i mean a puppet master can get 13 chapters of it and, and a couple standalone movies hopefully this will at least get a couple right yeah I, let's
2: hope i would love to see this flourish into what cinestate wanted to do and just have a full-on lovecraftian cinematic universe that could you know populate these characters and start moving in themes from Anything and everything. Who knows? Lord and Fear, Shadow of Rensmith, you know, Castle Freak. Reanimator, obviously. There's so much stuff that you can do with this. Uh, and I hope they do. I hope to God they do if there's any any justice
1: in the B movie world. They- <laughs> so Well, I'm coming in fairly close to you. Um, I'm coming in at a nine out of ten so I'm, I'm just it's it's just shy of perfect for me uh-huh. you know uh, I love it for all this the same reasons is I mean it's so beautifully shot the color schemes of it are, are so beautiful that the characters are really well-rounded and believable you know most of sometimes you get you know you always have throwaway characters in your movie no matter what but I believe each and every one of these characters you know and I find them all very very well layered and very well thought out uh michael Pere, definitely the mvp here he's he's the he's the man to watch you know he's the reason to watch it and uh uh dane oliver uh is uh the second mvp of this you know he's Great. I had never seen him in anything before, but I want to seek out more of his work because I found him very compelling to watch. He's just enigmatic. He's very charismatic. And yeah. I I, I love his performance. He's the second MVP of this. But Michael Perret, he's just it's, it's going to seem like a weird comparison, but he's like Denzel Washington in Training Day. There's nobody else to keep. Your, there's there's a ton of great characters and people in this to watch. But he's the reason why you show up. You know, he's just chews up the scenery and chews up the props and chews up everything and spits them back out.
2: And you know, I have to interject this. It's a movie where I can legitimately say that I love every character. There's not there's usually those, you know, there's like a stinker character or two sometimes in a movie, you know? Yeah, somebody that you kind of root for to die. I think every single character in this is interesting and has their own compelling charisma that makes me want to see more of them every single
1: one of them you know i mean even when you get a character like usually uh a character that i don't like in in a movie is the quote-unquote jock you Mm -hmm. know but alex keener who plays bear johnson in this he's great you like him. He's he's not an, an asshole jock. He just happens to be a quote-unquote jock. Now, I'm not saying that I don't, I dislike people who are into sports, you know, or in, in reality. I'm just saying that, you know, those kind of characters in movies are ones that I don't tend to gravitate towards. But, mm-hmm. you know, you like him. You end up liking him. He He's a great character in this. And, you know, the subtlety of Amanda Weiss's performance as uh, McMichaels, you know, like you are saying, you know, when she's touching her amulet. And whatnot, you know, they don't. Have that her and Professor Wallace are kind of like in cahoots. You, it's just yeah. unspoken, and you know it. Everything's played out so well. This is, uh, this is, you know, I've already said it a couple of times in, in this show. You know, this is top tier full moon. This is top tier Charles Band. Is definitely top tier uh, William Butler. I mean, because he's done, you know, let's face it, he's he's done a, a, a couple of a good movies with uh, Full Moon. He's done a couple of a stinkers, you know, just they, they, the inevitability of the game. And yeah, this is what his, his
2: fourth official directing job for Full Moon after Ginger Dead 2,
1: 3, and uh, Demonic Toys 2. Yeah, and he. Like you said, uh, you said it best, Dustin. He had his heart in the right place, and you know, or at least had his head in the right place. I would like to think that you know, if uh, Stuart Gordon was still alive today, he would look upon this favorably, and and I would hope that he would, you know, I would think, and I would also hope that he would approve of of it, because it takes it to a it takes it to a new level, you know. And I, I was of the same mindset you were at. You know, when this was announced and I was just like, oh, they're going to try to, you know, follow up from beyond, you know, and try to reinvent that Lovecraft, you know, that the whole Lovecraft mythos. I'm like, again, you know, I love everything and anything full moon, either from the good to the bad. But I Um, was very skeptical. I was highly skeptical. But uh, this proved once again that even, you know, (laughs) that even I can be wrong. (laughs) You know, uh, but yeah, I, I, I loved it. near, uh, a damn near, near perfect film. Uh, it's really, really good. And I implore anybody that's listening, you, you might be a, as skeptical as, uh, Dustin or I once were, but, uh, check it out. It's, it's definitely worth your, worth your time. It's barely, you know, with, you know, even if you watch it in the, the two chapter edition that's on, you know, full moon features, you know, it's barely over an hour long it's like an hour and 10 minutes so you're not, you're not going to be out a whole lot of time it's not like uh some of these movies today where you have to watch two and a half hours to find out that you didn't like it <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very easy view honestly
1: it's like and it, it's almost too short honestly because i want more so yeah yeah I, I definitely wanted more that if there's anything that was that might be part of the reason why that I, I mean, gave it, like, a nine, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I mean, imagine the implications of, you know,
1: come up part two,
2: you know, with where we're at now, the story moving forward, and Crawford knows that, you know, Wallace and McMichaels are evil, and then you've got Herbert West there um, teaching them how to reanimate dead flesh and bring, you know, the
1: deceased back to life uh,
2: you know and then mix i'm up. i'm wait, to it. you know it's
1: like I, i'm waiting with bated breath man i'm waiting with bated breath just okay <laughs> like i said the worst thing about this movie is that it's too short you know to be quite honest it's just too short it leaves you wanting more but i guess that's a good thing it's kind of it's kind of like a dealer you know they give you your first dose but now you got to wait and pay some extra money to get that second dose at
2: <laughs> you know, a nice tight all too short 64 minutes it is the same runtime as another you know movie that i love from full moon that everyone hates uh which i'm sure we'll talk about one day in more detail and that's uh Dollman versus demonic toys is a 64-minute movie,
1: so. And let's face it, uh, that ending, that, that, that you know, if, uh, if the last five minutes of this movie doesn't get your heart racing, then you might want to check your pulse because you might be already dead.
2: Yep, oh yeah.
1: Honest. Well, that being said, I think we can call this chapter of Howling at the Full Moon. Uh, we can call this an end to the festivities. Uh, once again, I want to thank you, Dustin, for taking a couple hours out of your time, because I know uh, for our pre-show segment and post-show segment, we end up talking about as much uh, as we do on the show. Mm. So it takes a big chunk out of your day. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk Full Moon Shop with me, amongst other things. And uh, I want to thank everybody at home this list that will be listening to this here in a few weeks when it goes live. Thank you, as always, for uh, tuning in to Howling at the Full Moon. Uh, We have a whole cavalcade of shows here at Cinema D-Generation, but it is apparent that you folks out there really love Howling at the Full Moon. We've had a couple of really good shows uh, with some really high numbers and downloads, so, you know, the numbers don't lie. You folks uh, love what we're doing, and there's shows that there is a lot of love for Full Moon movies still out there, and, you know— full moon will never die. You know, uh, I think it will, something that will live on forever, but we want to thank you as always for listening. Uh, if you can, you know, please subscribe, uh, to our, our you know Podbean account, uh, subscribe to the page, give us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you can, if you want to take the time, we'd really appreciate it. If you give us a, you know, a five-star rating, if you feel we deserve it, to give us any kind of rating at all would definitely, definitely help us out. So so that being said, I want to thank you folks, for, as always, for listening in. You have been listening to Howling at the Full Moon, and we have been reviewing and dissecting the Resonator Miskatonic U.
0: It seems your friend was running prescription meds across the border. It's
1: very sloppy. I also saw some very interesting campus security video. It seems you all have been very busy with your after-hours thievery. Do not say one word about any of this to anyone or you all will end up in jail. Okay, this is the moment
0: where you run back to class before I have to expel you.